And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys had a great weekend. Um, hopefully you guys did not watch the Oscars last night. I sure as hell did not. Um, every every year for like the Oscars and the Grammys, I, I tell myself I'm going to watch it just so I can kind of make fun of it on the podcast. And every year, I don't do it. Every year, I don't do it. I literally did. I, 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 would, I didn't have anything going on last night. I literally did laundry and watched reruns of River Monsters instead of watching the Oscars. That's how little I care about that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, a lot to get to today. Um, Marco Rubio goes full Warhawk. Uh, CPAC hires a communist to, to speak uh, at uh, at their event this year. Um, and we take a look at the Democratic field as it stands right now. Um, I was joined by Eric Schaefer from Lone Conservative and the Lone Conservative Podcast. Always a great time talking to Eric. Uh, I think you guys really enjoy it. Um, but before I get to Eric, uh, guys, if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at No Gimmicks Pod. Uh, if you haven't subscribed, what's wrong with you? Um, please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play. Um, please give us a five-star rating and a good review on iTunes. I'd really appreciate that. All right, without further ado, here's my chat with Eric Schaefer. All right, guys, we were here with my good friend Eric Schaefer from the Lone Conservative and the Lone Conservative Podcast. Uh, Eric, thanks so much for taking the time, brother. Good friend. I don't know who you are. Fuck you, Eric. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me, Brady. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So let's just jump in. We have a lot to cover, as always. Uh, A lot to cover. Um, Let's start uh, in South America. Let's start with a little bit of Venezuela talk. Um, I mean, we'll start with some good news because I'm going to get really negative here in a minute. But we can start with some good news. The Maduro regime is looking like it's somewhat close to collapsing. They've cut diplomatic ties with just about everyone. I believe everyone except like Turkey, Iran and Russia. And Cuba, of course. Amazing allies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the best and brightest the world has to offer, obviously. Um, and and they're they're lashing out. I mean, that, that regime is, is behaving like a, a cornered lion right now. I mean, they, uh, they were literally burning trucks that, that had, you know, were, were full of food and, and humanitarian aid coming in from over the border and stuff like that. Really just evil, horrific stuff. Um, but it's looking like they are on the verge of collapse. And don't get me wrong, any time a leftist regime, a communist regime collapses, it's a great day. Um, but, uh, I, I need to bring up a tweet from, uh, the senior Senator from Florida, Marco Rubio. This really got my blood boiling last night, man. Um, he, he Rubio's kind of been president Trump's point man on, on the Venezuela stuff. He's been down in Colombia, um, uh, doing a lot of work down there. And he decided to start tweeting out before and after pictures of like dictators when they were in power. And then when they were like being murdered and stuff, not sure why, um, he thought, that was a good idea. Um, did you see this tweet? He specifically uh, used a picture of Muammar Gaddafi, the former dictator of Libya, before and after uh, being overthrown. Um, this was absolutely disgusting, and I have no idea what the senator was thinking. No, I don't either. And listen, I understand that people want awful things to happen to evil people, and I'm by no means saying that Gaddafi was a good person and that he didn't deserve some sort of 
torment in the afterlife for all that he did when he was living. But if we look at Libya in a nation-state sense, it was on the up and up. They were basically reforming. They had a, a terrorism spurt, and we were talking about this on the podcast. And they, by the way, I'm not saying they weren't involved in terrorism anymore, but they had an intense terrorism spurt in like the 80s and the 90s and the 70s. And we had gotten to a point with Libya where they'd handed over their nukes. They agreed not to produce any more weapons of mass destruction. They were compensating and giving reparations to victims of former Libyan-sponsored terror attacks. They were in good standing with the international community. And then all of a sudden, anti-Gaddafi, democratic, quote-unquote, rebellions start. And we, we take all the progress that we had with Libya and we smash it. Libya, no one, like literally no one, we, we, we talked about this before, literally no one, not even the intense war hawks, except for maybe, I guess, Marco Rubio, since he's using it as an example of what happens to dictators when they F with the United States, not even the most intense war hawks are saying that Libya was a success, which should tell you something. Not, not even the most intense war hawks are saying what we did in Libya was justified, which should tell you something. So for, for Rubio to use that, and these, I don't agree with going into Venezuela and doing what we did to Gaddafi. But for Rubio to use that image, the two situations aren't even the same. They're not even anywhere near the same. At the very least, Maduro has been hostile to the international community and to the United States and to our way of life since he took over. So I, I don't – it's ridiculous. It's childish. And I think he's just trying to be edgy, and it's not working. Yeah, and yeah, you, you said it perfectly, Eric. And, you know, there are some people, there are some, uh, you know, neocons uh, that, for erroneously, in my opinion, still believe that the war in Iraq was a good idea. But, like you said, there's no one. I mean, nobody. No, I mean, even the, the most hawkish neocons are like, yeah, we really fucked up. <laughs> we really fucked up the, the, the Libya situation. Like, you, you cannot look at Libya and use it as an example of anything less than a catastrophic failure. Okay, I mean, let's for if for anybody listening that has been living under a rock until just now, apparently, like, let's explain what happened after Muammar Gaddafi was toppled. The entire country was taken over by by terrorist organizations, like all all your your usual suspects: ISIS, Al Qaeda, Boko Haram, Islamic Islamic Jihad, and other groups. But those four were the the heavy hitters. Took over the entire country. Libya became a failed state overnight. There's literally an open-air slave trade in Libya. I mean, there's there's human beings being bought and sold in markets now in Libya. That obviously was not happening under Gaddafi. Over, you know, estimates fluctuate, but everyone agrees at least 100,000 innocent civilians were slaughtered by these uh, jihadists after Gaddafi was was killed. So, I mean, there's just, you cannot, you, you can't, you cannot look at the. You cannot use Libya as an example of anything other than a horrible failure and a huge mistake. Like to think that invading Libya was a good idea, you're either evil or retarded. Like honest to God, like that's the the two options. Like Hillary Clinton still loves that move. You know, remember she said, you know, we came, we saw, he died. <laughs> like, ooh, like oh God, like you are a really really crazy evil bitch, aren't you? But. The fact that somebody like Marco Rubio, who I like Rubio on a lot of issues, I think he's a very intelligent man. I, he hasn't been a bad senator or anything. But how how can you look at our foreign policy blunders of the last 20 years, especially Libya, and not learn anything? Not learn a damn thing? It's it's insane. It's insane to me. Like, how, how do you look at this and not learn your lesson? How many more civilians, how many more women and children have to die before these people learn their lesson? 
I don't know. It's I, I by the way, I think this quote is often to, attributed to Einstein, and I don't think he actually. I may be wrong, but I don't think he actually said it. But it's to try the same thing over and over, over again, and expecting different results is the definition of insanity. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know. And I, like again, I understand the cultural differences in South America and the Middle East. I understand that when, and I'm not saying it's right, but I think there is. It's worth pointing out that when the United States props up a regime in South America, regardless of whether you disagree with that or, or not, whenever the United States has propped up a regime in South America, usually it ends up being much more successful than a regime in the Middle East. Uh, it, I think part of that is because we, we have much more ability to more closely monitor and control regimes in South America than we do regimes that are overseas. But I don't personally want to get involved with – Maduro, I don't personally want to overthrow him unless we're left with no other option, and I don't see that happening. The one thing I'll praise George H.W. Bush for, and George H.W. Bush doesn't get a lot of praise. He's often called a war hawk, a warmonger, a neocon. When you saw him handle the Kuwait incident with Iraq and his various other foreign policy handlings, but specifically the Kuwait incident, he made sure that he had the entire international community behind him or at least most of the major powers in the international community. So when he acted, it's it's it doesn't all fall in the United States. At the very least, if something goes bl- wrong, the blame doesn't all fall in the United States. Everyone has a shared piece of responsibility. The United States isn't expected to do everything alone. That's one of the th- ways that George H.W. Bush so brilliantly handled the Kuwait situation and how he handled most of his foreign policy situations. And I, he had much to be desired in terms of his presidency. But I think that was one of the areas where he truly excelled. And America needs to get back to that. If we're going to do anything in Venezuela and if we're going to do anything in South America from this point forward, we need to make sure that at the very least we have the support of the powers within the region at the very least. So I know people have been talking about Brazil may try and do something to support uh, the anti-Maduro people in Venezuela. Colombia as well, yes. Colombia too. So if we can do something indirectly or maybe contribute directly, but we do it with Colombia and Brazil and we do it equally and we share responsibility and we make sure the international community is behind us, I can foresee doing something like that. But if the U.S. if – if we plan to go in there again like we've done with so many regimes in the past, running, run over everyone roughshod, we do it ourselves. We don't ask for support from the international community or, again, the people in the region. That's really all we need, the, the countries in the region. If we don't ask for that, I, I don't see the benefit of getting involved because it's just going to be another case of nation building, and I don't support it. Absolutely. And and another point, uh, two more points before we move on. Um, one, you're, I totally agree with you. Um, a- another thing, Congress has authorized, with all the wars we're fighting right now, most of them are unconstitutional, illegal wars. Congress authorized our military to use force in Afghanistan and Iraq. Those two countries, that's it. Not Syria, not Libya, not Lebanon, not Yemen, not Pakistan, not, like, I can, not uh, Sudan, not Somalia, not Niger. We're in all those places, by the way. I don't know if you guys knew that. Uh, there's a long list of, of where our, sol- our soldiers are, are shooting people right now and being shot right now. But, you know, presidents for the last 20 years have kind of gotten away with expanding these Middle Eastern wars, saying, hey, well, we're still fighting the same terrorist organizations, and, you know, they're in Syria. Syria's right next to Iraq, so we got to fight them there, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they're not in Venezuela, though. So if we before we send a single member of our armed forces to Venezuela... Congress better authorize it. 
Like, there's nothing. There's nothing on the books where a president could send troops to a South American country right now. Like, if they want to use force or something, which they shouldn't anyway, we should just, like you said, use the international community to put pressure on Maduro and force him to resign, not actually go there and start shooting people. But if we do send the military, Congress better declare war. Because, I mean, look, I, I know I've preached about this over and over. Congress has not declared war since 1943, which is pretty astonishing considering you know, all the wars we fought since. But you cannot, you cannot step foot in Venezuela without congressional authorization. I mean, it is like, if let's just say Trump sends troops there or something like that, that would be even more egregious than when we, you know, Obama sent troops into Libya and, and Syria, because it's, I mean, look, it's halfway around the world. I mean, it would be, a, it's a completely different situation, even more ridiculous in my eyes. I agree. And like I said, if you want to get directly involved, have Congress declare war. I 1,000% agree with you. But also, if you're going to get directly involved, like I said, have the international community behind you. And that means other countries contribute something, contribute troops, contribute air support. And I I can imagine that Brazil and Colombia, if it got to that point, which I'm hoping it doesn't, I doubt it will, would be willing to do something like that. I I personally – I obviously wasn't alive when it was happening, so I can't really say I long for the days. But – Remember when Richard Nixon got in trouble for bombing Cambodia because he was still fighting the Viet Cong, but he was bombing Viet Cong supply lines in Cambodia. Oh, yeah. And everyone got on him because he's going into another sovereign nation and starting another conflict that Congress didn't approve and that the American people didn't want. Everyone got mad at him, and that was for expansion into one country legitimately fighting the same enemy. Now we – like you said, now we allow the president to declare, oh, let's go here, let's go here, let's go here, let's go here because you know the same enemies are there, so it doesn't really matter. It's the complete disrespect the executive has shown for congressional oversight and congressional authority in the war-declaring process is absolutely ridiculous. And beyond that, you can't even blame it all on the executive. When you give a dude, the, a guy the opportunity to t- grab more power without any consequences – He's going to grab more power without any consequences, especially in the world of politics. Congress has been totally and and completely willing to abdicate its responsibilities to the executive. And it's it's pretty disgusting, honestly. It really is. And I mean, can you imagine with with the with Nixon bombing Cambodia? I mean, I agree with the people that gave him hell over it. I mean, let's, no, I do too. And not to sound like Ron Paul, like the isolationist, like Ron Paul, and these guys always use this as an example, but it's it's completely, absolutely, 100% true. Let's say Mexico and El Salvador are at war with each other, and then El Salvador bombs Arizona because there's a bunch of Mexican fighters in Arizona. We would, what would you, what would we do? We would eat their lunch. We turn, <laughs> we turn El Salvador into a sheet of glass. Like you know what I mean? Like yeah, like it's that's not good. And then. One more thing, and then we can move on from from Venezuela and Marco Rubio. As a Christian, this really, really, really got under my skin. <clears throat> the The first line of Marco Rubio's Twitter bio is "follower of Christ." It's not a great look. It's not a great look. Not a great look as a follower of Christ to tweet out a picture of uh, Muammar Gaddafi seconds before he was sodomized to death with a bayonet. Okay, that's not very Christ-like. In my eyes, that's not very godly. Like, I, what, what would possess him to do this? It's so strange. It's so wrong on every level imaginable. Yeah, it's like I said, it's completely unnecessary. To, like, I, even his own, the people who like him. Like, I've, I saw a lot of people who like him. Even 
in his replies going like, dude, what the hell? Like this isn't even – again, it's not comparable. The situations are completely different, even if I disagree with direct intervention in, in Venezuela uh, as of right now. The situations are completely different. The regimes are completely different. Unlike Libya, Venezuela is not a reformed state. If anything, they've fallen into anarchy while Libya was on the up and up under Gaddafi. Uh, it's – I don't know. I don't know what he was thinking. I, I like I, Again, I don't think it's – either being evil or being ex- overly stupid. I think he was just trying to be edgy, and it failed. Right. Yeah, I agree. So we can move on. Uh, all right. We don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but I'd be remiss if I I didn't bring up CPAC. I, I, CPAC is what, next week? It's, no, it's like in two, three days. <laughs> oh, wow. All right, never mind. Okay, never mind. Get so with the program, <laughs> Brady. Three days. Uh, CPAC, for those who don't know, is the Conservative Political Action Conference. It's like the biggest gathering of conservatives every year in Washington, D.C. Uh, I know you are going, Eric. Um, I'm sure you're looking forward to that, or not. I don't know. Um, but... Yeah, I'm basically the biggest person that's going. I'm kind of a big deal. Host alone conservative, you know, it's... Yeah, People I mean, are going to get my autograph. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're actually the keynote speaker. I think, like, Mike Lee and uh, and uh, all these guys are opening for you, you know? They're going to bow to me before <clears throat> yeah, I pretty go much. <laughs> so there was a few names, though, um, <laughs> on the list of speakers at CPAC that really make you go, huh? Um, first off, Van Jones, the uh, <laughs> CNN personality, who was fired from the Obama administration for being too much of a communist! Far too much of a communist for the Obama administration, and he's now speaking at CPAC. Your thoughts? <laughs> Matt Schlapp seems like a nice dude, but, okay, CPAC literally stands for Conservative Political Action Conference. Not Communist Political Action Conference. At this point, it should stand for TPAC, <laughs> the Trump Political Action Conference. And by the way, before I go into this, I'm not a never-Trumper, because like, I've just noticed when people rant on overly MAGA people— or when they rag on them, they get called Never Trump. I'm not a Never Trumper. Uh, I was during the general. I think if you stayed Never Trump after the general, after he was elected, you're an idiot. Right. That's just my personal opinion. But anyways, it should be TPAC. It's the Trump Political Action Conference. Because, yes, there are some people who are showing up that aren't just there for the explicit purpose of praising Trump. Uh, but no one that is coming has been necessarily extremely critical to Trump. Like, I know there's some people coming who have been somewhat critical of him in the past for some things. Like, Ali Stuckey has been critical of Trump before, and she's a really awesome person, and she's coming. Like, there are the exceptions to the rule. But if you look at a lot of the keynote speakers, they're there to either simply praise Trump's policy agendas, praise Trump personally, praise the ground Trump walks on. It's ridiculous. And Matt Schlapp seems like a really nice guy. But he's he's forgotten what CPAC is about, and that's about conservatives from all parts of the right. right. And not I'm not talking like people when I say all parts of the right, people try and say like, oh, you you mean alt right? No, <laughs> conservatives, conservatives from all parts of the right are supposed to congregate and talk about their ideas and have fun and learn new stuff. It's not just supposed to be dedicated to one guy. It's not just supposed to be about the praise of one guy. And that's what CPAC is turning into, and that's what Matt Schlapp's kind of doing. And Matt Schlapp, for those of you who don't know, is, is basically the chair. I think he's like the head of CPAC. Right. So it's it's getting rather obnoxious. I'm still excited. There's still a lot of good speakers showing up this year, but it's just progressively, CPAC has progressively gone into that more and more and more strictly MAGA trend. And if you're not MAGA all the way, then you can't come. It's It's getting a little... 
obnoxious. I wouldn't say disturbing. I was almost going to say disturbing. I wouldn't say disturbing. It's just getting obnoxious at this point. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And there's a few other names that that got under my skin a little bit. Obviously, the Turning Point USA guys, Candace Owens and Charlie Kirk, are both speaking. Oh, they're great. I love them. They're, these people, I mean, they don't have <laughs> two brain cells to rub together. I mean, that is just... They're absolute grifters. They're a joke. We've talked about that on the podcast before. Another one, that's just... I forget the guy's name. I should have looked it up. I'm a terrible podcaster. But the My Pillow guy, the guy who advertises on Fox News all the time, yeah. My, My Pillow. <laughs> um, he seems nice. He's. I mean, <laughs> hey, I've never met the guy. I mean, I'm sure his pillows are great, and I'm sure he's a nice guy. Um, he's literally speaking at CPAC because he advertises on Fox News a lot. Like, I know. He's, he's not like a commentator. He's not a political pundit. He's not a politician. Like, he's he's a... I mean, look, I'm sure he's a, it's just weird, man. It's weird. I'm sure he's a great guy. Like, but why? Like, it's just, it's so strange. I hope he gets up there and it's just one continuous 20-minute MyPillow ad. <laughs> it's, uh, it's so weird. All right, we don't have to beat up on CPAC too much, but I just, I had to bring it up. I had to bring it up. Uh, <laughs> so over the, one last topic for the day. Um, I believe this was the first weekend in over two months where a whole bunch of Democrats didn't announce they're running for president. Uh, so I, I, I guess good for them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I remember the last time I was on your podcast, I said that Beto wouldn't run and you were like, no way Beto's going to run and Beto hasn't announced yet. And I said, no, cause the field's going to be too divided. He's going to be going up against too many heavy hitters to jump in just yet. And I've said that to friends before. I've said that on Twitter and people were like, no, you're, you're, you're effing wrong, man. I'm like, look at me now. Where's Beto? Hey, it looks like you might be right, man. And that's just because Beto's an idiot. Like, everything he's done, like, after losing that narrow uh, that narrow loss to Ted Cruz in the Texas Senate election, he all he had to do is not be an idiot, and he could have been a frontrunner. Like, he, he had all the momentum. He had, you know, the wind at his back. He had all the momentum. He was raising tons and tons of money. And then he just showed that he's just this weirdo. <laughs> like, he's just weird. He just started driving around the country like a moron. That video came out of him in like a sheep suit singing the oh, Ramones. That was weird. And, and that so was really like, weird. Maybe he just he's just so weird that people are like, I don't know, man. You're just too weird for me. See, I don't think it's an incredibly dumb move because assume – so let's assume for a second that Joe Biden jumps in. Bernie Sanders has already jumped in. Okay, so that he's automatically the front runner, even though his popularity is slowly like Bernie personally, his popularity has slowly been waning in the Democratic Party. He's still extremely popular because he fell on his sword for Hillary. He was a good sport about it, and his ideals are becoming more and more popular within the Democratic Party. So he's going to be the automatic front runner. If Joe Biden jumps in, then as Beto, even though you you're you know you got the wind at your back and everything, you're going up against Joe Biden, you're going up against Bernie Sanders, you're going up against Kamala Harris. Those are those are particularly the two guys, but Kamala Harris is also a heavy hitter. That's three heavy hitters. I'm sorry, but you're not going to win that. Like even even with all the popularity Beto was seeing, Beto isn't going to sustain those long term poll numbers. He's not going to win that. I think he kind of realizes that, despite the weirdness. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, the Democrats hate white people now, too, especially white men. So, uh, if for Beto, look, if, if either Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden didn't run, Beto would have a good shot. Because he could yeah. run to the right of Bernie Sanders, or he could run to the left of Joe Biden. Because, I mean, nobody, like, Beto doesn't have positions on anything. Like, when, when he's asked questions, he's like, oh, yeah, I could, could I would consider that. 
or whatever. Like that's that's his answer. To everything. Like, oh yeah, that could work, or I might agree with that. Like he's just a blank slate, slate man. He's an empty suit. <laughs> like he, he's the kind of guy. He's young enough, and he doesn't really have that much of a record. Uh, he just has a generic Democratic voting record in his whatever two or three terms in Congress. I mean, he could have just transformed himself into a communist or a moderate or a whatever. Like he could run as whatever he wanted. But if Biden and Sanders are both in, and they're white men who are have way more money and are much more popular than Beto, I just don't see Beto's path. Well, the other issue is so, and often I've talked about this on my podcast before. So when you look at prime, and like you'll learn this in even like the most basic uh, campaigns and primaries courses. If you look at primaries in particular, there's a reason why everyone in the primary goes to the most extreme left or extreme right that they possibly can. And it's not a coincidence. It's because when you are in the primaries, the quote unquote moderates are not the people who come out and vote in droves. People who are considered radicals in primaries are often disproportionately represented because they are much more willing than everyone else to come out and vote for their guy. That's one of the reasons why Bernie Sanders is almost going to is the immediately the front runner because he is the most radical person in there. He is the most far left person in there right now, and he gets the radical vote. Radicals are going to come out in droves for him in far more concentrated numbers than the moderates. So it's that's why people often drive to the left or drive to the right. And I don't see Beto if if Beto were to go in, I don't see Beto standing a chance against that because I don't foresee Beto doing what it takes. And going as far to the left as possible. And that's also why you see people moving back. Like Beto would be a perfect general candidate, but he's not a perfect primary candidate. That's why you also see people often move back to the center during general elections. It's because now at this point you can't just rely on the radical vote to get elected. Now you need a more – more uh, you need to cast a broader net, a wider net. So that's why you often see people start to move back to the center because the radicals are already going to vote for them no matter what, even if they don't like them moving back to some moderate positions. But you have to get those independents. You have to pick up those maybe Republicans who are leaning to the left and may not want to vote for their guy and vice versa. So I I see Beto being able to do that in the general. I don't see him winning any sort of primary against Bernie Sanders and the the, the, the radical Democratic candidates that we've seen so far. Right, and right now... Uh on uh, most of the polling data coming out in the last week, Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden are are leading. They're number one and number two in, in most polls, um, although Biden hasn't officially announced yet. They're both uh, around 25%. Uh, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren are, are next. They're kind of, you know, 10 points behind. They're in the mid-teens. And everybody else is just way lower. Um, you know, Kirsten Gillibrand, uh, Sherrod Brown, Tulsi Gabbard, um, among others, aren't even breaking one percent. A lot of them don't even show up in these polls. One interesting, <laughs> one interesting number that jumped out at me in the Rasmussen poll and uh, what was the other one I saw? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Not important. But um, uh, Amy Klobuchar is still hovering around eight percent, which I, which I think is hilarious that she's even showing up in these polls after being outed as a total psychopath. Oh, Honestly, well, you know why? The, the Amy Klobuchar story, that's like my favorite story going on right now. <laughs> that just she's just like an abusive, insane person. Like, oh, it's just like directly into my veins, man. Like, apparently, for anybody that missed it, uh, she had a staffer go get her a, a salad for lunch, and the staffer forgot to get a fork. So Amy Klobuchar started screaming and yelling at the staffer and then pulled a comb out of her purse and, like, you know ate the salad with a comb and then threw the comb at the staffer and told them to clean the comb. 
So Jeez. this is this is not like a stable human being, Amy Klobuchar. <laughs> well, you know why she's still hovering at 8%? It's because people are too scared not to vote for her. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> She'll come to their houses and personally throw salad dressing covered combs at them. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, Kl- Klobuchar's just here to kick ass and uh, win elections, and she's all out of elections, apparently. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> all, right. all right, Eric. Thanks so much for coming on again. I'm sure I'll have you back on soon. I still got to go on your show as well. Uh, we've been talking yeah. about that. We just haven't set it up yet. But uh, yeah, so uh, before I let you go, where can everybody uh, find you online? Where can everybody subscribe to your show, which is a, a very, very good show, um, and read your stuff and, and all of that good stuff? Oh, I appreciate that. Uh, you can oh. find me on Twitter at Real Eric Schaefer. You can find the podcast on Twitter at loco underscore pod. It's just for any updates and if you want to see who we're interviewing that week. Uh, and then to find the podcast, just search The Lone Conservative on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play. We'd appreciate it if you gave a five-star review on iTunes or liked the tracks on SoundCloud. It actually helps people find us. So any of that would be appreciated. And thanks so much again for having me on, Brady. Absolutely. And yeah, and uh, you know, I always remind my audience to give us a five-star rating and a review on iTunes. Yeah, for anybody, why we always harp on that is because the iTunes charts are total bullshit. Like, it's actually not, <laughs> like, they actually don't keep track of, like, plays. It's like, you know, the, the people at the top of the charts are not the most downloaded podcasts. It's the people that get a lot of downloads and at the same time are getting five-star ratings. So, yes, yep. it, it definitely helps us out. Everybody gives him five stars. Give me five stars. We always appreciate it. Eric, thanks again, my friend. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks. Thank you.